0: We've been working our way through one line of Scripture over the last few weeks in a section of the New Testament called Galatians. It's from this letter that was written by one of the early followers of Jesus, a man named Paul. Uh, We know him as the Apostle Paul. Depending on your church tradition, maybe you knew him as St. Paul. Paul had started uh, several churches after Jesus' death and uh, and after Jesus' death and resurrection, and now he's writing to these churches in a region called Galatia, which we know today as modern-day Turkey. He's trying to help them learn to cultivate space for God through the Holy Spirit to grow these attributes in their lives. So all the way back in part one, we mentioned that one of the things that I'm excited about for this series is you're going to hear from some people that you haven't really had a chance to hear from yet. These are people who are uh, growing in their influence in our church. They've been contributing to the culture and values of our church for a while now. This is a group of people that we're being really intentional about pouring into as they grow in their leadership about mentoring and coaching as they expand their influence and giving them opportunities to pour into you as well. Uh, Because we know that in the church, uh, your influence grows exponentially when you have a chance to teach in the Sunday gathering on a regular basis. So that's one of the things we're doing. So it's kind of a new day at Faith Community, and we're really excited about growing our teaching team uh, here on Sundays. We have six people who've committed to this process of engaging in intentional, frequent, focused, thoughtful conversation about our church culture, about teaching, and about our vision for the future. You've already gotten to know Josh Young over the years. Uh, He's been teaching here for a few years now. Uh, But then back in April, his wife Megan partnered with him to teach, and she's joined our teaching team. Last month, you got to hear Amanda Elliott teach for the first time. She taught on peace in this series that we're calling Fruitful. And if you missed that one, please go onto our website or on the podcast and find uh, that message from June the 5th, uh, Amanda's message on peace Um, Before this series is over, you're going to have a chance to hear from most of the team, and I would simply ask this, that as they each come to teach, that you would give them the same kind of respectful attention and engagement that you've given to me and Pastor Bob over the years. You can have confidence in what they're teaching, because we aren't just looking for people who are naturally gifted speakers with dynamic personalities and fine-tuned communication skills. We feel like we've identified six individuals who have a heart for the church, a desire to fulfill their God-given potential, a willingness to develop some new skills, in order, to, like public speaking, in order to communicate a life-giving message and a grand vision for what the church could be, what this church specifically could be in our lives and in this community. So today, Aaron Francis is going to come teach with me. We're going to tag team today. Some of you have known Aaron for a long time. Some of you have gotten to know Aaron over the last few years. Let me just tell you a little bit about Aaron before she comes in a few minutes. First of all, Aaron and I go way back, like way back. <laughs> I've known Erin for nearly 25 years. She grew up at Faith Community. We launched this church two months before she was born. She's grown up in our nursery in children's ministries and youth ministry. Uh, Did I mention she's my daughter? I forgot to mention that part. She knows this church inside and out. Um, Erin served as a counselor at BYC camp for several years. That's where she met her husband, Jeff. She and Jeff have been married for four years. They are perhaps best known as Quinn's mom and dad. Should have had a picture on the screen right there. But... And if you don't know who Quinn is, uh, you need to get to know Quinn. I don't know if he has a name tag on, but Quinn is 9 months old and enjoying his morning with his friends over there in Treasure Bay, I'm sure. Erin did a 6 week internship at Cross Point Church in Cary, North Carolina a few years ago. She graduated from Liberty University with her bachelor's degree in education in 2019, uh, and she and Jeff have been leading FCF Youth, which is our youth ministry for the last few years now. So like I said, she knows our church's culture inside and out and Here's the thing that I, I love about engaging in conversation with her about church and faith and spirituality, and this uh, is that she's, she's a borderline uh, millennial slash Gen Z. So she's right on the border, so she can choose which one she wants to be in. <clears throat> but her vision for the church gives me hope for the future of the church, and specifically this church. So a few months ago, when our conversation shifted to the idea of sharing in the Sunday teaching... I said, well, I'm working on an idea for this series, and I think this would be a great time for you to just jump in the deep end. And then when I told her, like, we're going to do a week on each of the fruit of the Spirit, um, which one do you want? So like she always does, she deferred to everybody else and then chose what was left, and she chose kindness, which kind of uh, makes a lot of sense. So today we're going, to, we're going to share the teaching. I'm going to set it up, and she's going to give you the real content. So we're reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Before we go any further, let's just pause and pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for each person that's here. I pray that in these next few moments together, you just quiet our, our hearts Free our minds of clutter and distraction so we can focus on what it is that your Holy Spirit has for us today to hear and to take in and to uh, really process in the context of our lives. And uh, we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout the series, we've been looking at Galatians 5 and we've been saying, this is not a to-do list. Aren't you glad? Like, we don't have to figure out how to make ourselves more loving, more patient, more faithful, more kind. So, we, like, we've gotten this so wrong for so long in the church that I'm just repeating this every week because this is not a to-do list. This is the work of the Spirit in us. This is what God wants to produce in our lives. But, listen, you and I do have a role to play. Like he wants to produce the fruit, but you and I have a role to play. It's our responsibility to cultivate the type of soil or the type of character within our heart that actually grows good fruit in our lives. And we can either help or hinder in that process. So far, we've covered love, joy, peace, patience. That was fun. And today, we're landing on kindness. When I think about the people, who have had the greatest impact on my life, and maybe you're here too. And I think, like, even beyond, like, your parents or whatever, I think of my Sunday school teachers when I was a kid. I think of my grandparents. I think of the senior people in our church growing up whose lawns I mowed through high school, right? And all the lemonade I drank sitting at their tables because I thought it was too hot for me to be out working as a 14-year-old to be mowing a lawn. Like, you can't be doing this. You've got to sit here, drink lemonade, and eat pie. I'm like, you're so right. So, but I think of... I think, so that's why I associate kindness with pie. Now it makes sense. I think of missionaries, just remember that. I think of missionaries who've stayed in our home on a regular basis growing up in a pastor's home. I think of my, of my parents' friends, some of my dad's colleagues who engaged in conversation with me as a kid and as a teenager. And if I really were to drill down on the qualities that gave them a voice in my life and allowed them to have influence in my life, I'd land on kindness. I think sometimes kindness gets overlooked I think in this list, it gets undervalued, at least until you've been the recipient of true kindness. So I think even when we hear the word kindness, words like nice and pleasant maybe pop into our heads. We think of people who are gentle and smiling and getting along with everybody and not causing any problems. Like those things are some kind of indicator of kindness. And sometimes I think we even think of kindness as kind of boring and blah and mundane and but, but why is it that, you know, when we look at this list, like why is it in this list then, if that's the case, right? With this list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's here for a reason. Why does Paul list kindness as a fruit of the Spirit's work in us? That we need the Spirit of God to develop kindness in us. Well, in this series, we've, just, this is all we've been doing for, like this has been our text for six weeks now, these two lines. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So being kind doesn't really sound all that difficult. Like when you look through the list, it seems like one of the easier ones. Most of us, probably most of us would say that we are generally kind people. Like I'm a kind person. But sometimes the world's understanding of a word and the biblical meaning of what that word is, like the way the author really intended it, is actually quite significantly different. So here's the truth about humans and kindness. As humans, we struggle every day just to be kind to other humans. you It's just been magnified in the last 15 years because you only have to read comments on a Facebook post or on a tweet and the nasty arguments that ensue within that post to see how unkind we can be. Uh, or listen to how people speak to the person making your coffee at Dunkin', or how families tend to talk to each other over dinner, even at a restaurant, right? Like, we can be cruel, and often, often when we're being kind towards someone, if we're being super honest here, our motives for that kindness are actually kind of selfish, so maybe an easy way to explain what true biblical kindness looks like is to paint a picture of false kindness. Let's start there. Maybe, maybe, and it might get a little uncomfortable, but false kindness is when you extend kindness to others only because it's beneficial to you. Like, you're going to gain something from this. So, like, when other people are going to see you do this and they're going to notice, it'll boost your reputation with them. And sometimes we use false kindness to get what we want. It looks like kindness, but it's actually really manipulation. Or there are contingencies to our kindness. You know, I'll do this kind thing, but I'm definitely going to expect them to do something for me in return. And if they don't, well, I'm just going to hold my kindness over their head for a while. And false kindness often comes in the form of self-preservation. Like, I'm going to have to be kind to this person, and they're going to to realize something about, or they're going to realize something about me. Like, I don't want to really uh, be that vulnerable, so I'm just going to kind of cover up my my weaknesses and my shortcomings with some false kindness here. Or maybe we expect, and kindness not for the benefit of another person, but because of how it makes us feel. True kindness is taught to us in Ephesians 4, again the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. True kindness is the complete absence of bitterness. It's incredibly generous. It flows to those we agree with and those that we don't. Those that we know and those people who just sort of pass through our lives. True kindness is extended to those who will never thank us or acknowledge us. People we love, people we don't. True kindness means meeting the needs of others without a desire for recognition, without grumbling or complaining. True kindness means self-sacrifice when it's inconvenient, without concern for our own preservation. It's meeting real needs. In the example of Jesus. So maybe kindness isn't that easy after all. Just maybe. Here's Aaron.
1: Good morning. So when Dad and I were first discussing kindness, I wasn't sure what to talk about because I thought I'd pretty much have kindness figured out. I thought it'd be easier to talk from an area of struggle because I'd rather talk about personal growth than come across as an expert. After all, for my entire life, people have told me that I am kind again and again. again. Well, sort of. They often use different words that feel synonymous with kind. They say I'm nice, sweet, considerate. But are they really the same thing? They are different words for a reason. When going through the nine components of the fruit of the Spirit, I am tempted to rush past kindness, check the box, and believe I am a kindness expert and should focus on other things like patience, joy, and peace that don't come as naturally to me. While looking for inspiration, I remembered an episode from one of my favorite podcasts, The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. I recalled an interview with the one and only Candace Cameron Bure, who we know and love as, anybody know? Yeah, DJ, DJ Tanner from Full House. She was featured on the podcast to talk about her book, Kind is the New Classy. As I was re-listening to the interview discussing kindness, I was struck by this statement. Niceness is more about fear, while kindness is more about love. I paused, jumped back 15 seconds, and played it a couple more times. So I'm going to say it again for you, too. Niceness is more about fear, while kindness is more about love. It hit me so hard because sometimes my outward niceness is actually about an inward fear rather than the other person, and that's not genuine kindness. I began to think that maybe I'm not a kindness expert after all, I realized how important it is to distinguish between the niceness and politeness we are taught as kids to carry with us throughout life, and the true, authentic, fruit of the Spirit kindness that we are called to cultivate through the help of the Holy Spirit. So here's what nice actions motivated by fear might look like. First, fear of conflict. Going along with what others want to do or believe to avoid being at odds with anyone. Then there's fear of rejection conforming to whoever you're around to avoid not being liked, and fear of vulnerability, keeping others at arm's length to avoid rejection, shame, and honesty. I believe these are all reasons I have been called nice. I've been nice because I'm laid back and go along with others, when underneath I just don't want to make anyone upset because I want to eat at a different restaurant, or I don't actually like the music they're obsessed with. Okay, sometimes it's a bigger issue too, like disagreeing on a political view, but I'm nice so I bite my tongue and go along with their belief to avoid conflict and steer clear of rejection. I've been called nice because I'm a good listener, but sometimes I listen so well because talking about myself makes me feel insecure. So, am I saying it's bad to be nice and let someone else pick the restaurant, avoid a heated political debate, or listen to what's going on in a friend's life? Of course not. Niceness is good, but niceness is different from kindness. I love this simple definition of kindness from this podcast. Kindness is seeing people. To discern between niceness and kindness, we have to dig below the action and look at the motive. Personally speaking, some of my nice actions are about self-preservation and protecting my own security. So I ask myself and I ask you, how often am I acting from a place of protecting my own feelings security, and feeling good about myself, compared to seeing the other person. Think about how young we learn to say things like, please, thank you, and sorry. We learn to raise our hands, clean up after ourselves, and respect peers and those in authority. If you Google politeness, it is defined as having or showing behavior that is respectful and considerate of other people. Awesome, we should all be polite. In fact, we were expected to be polite from a very young age and had the same expectation of our kids and one another. Now, if we look up niceness, it is defined as pleasant in manner, good-natured, and kind. And finally, kindness is defined as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Kindness, niceness, and politeness are all so similar and often used interchangeably. But here's how I've come to distinguish them. Politeness is a simple expectation to be a good human by being good to others. Niceness is outwardly kind but can be inwardly selfish. And kindness is seeing the other person and is more concerned for others than the self. Expanding upon what it means to be kind by seeing the other person, Candace says this, being kind really looks at a person for who they are. It helps them inherently feel valuable and puts other people before yourself. Kindness kindness has a ripple effect because it makes us feel loved and is joyful and it is something that makes us want to extend it and give it to other people. Kindness isn't looking to climb the social ladder when a debate or gain something from the relationship. Rather, kindness seeks to give without thought or condition of return. A one-size-fits-all policy toward all people and the recognition that all people are made in the image of God. I want you to take a minute to think of a time that you felt seen by a friend, family member, coworker, or even stranger. When has someone put you before themselves? How did it make you feel? Did it make you feel valued? Did it make you feel loved? Did it fill you with joy and make you want to pass it on? When I graduated high school, I started working at Dunkin' Donuts and worked there for about three years. If you've ever worked somewhere that has a drive-through, you've probably witnessed a long line of people paying it forward. This would happen on a daily basis. Somebody would pay for the order behind them, pleasantly surprised the next person would pay for the order behind them, and so on. Until somebody broke the chain, which always made me sad to see the kindness streak end. Sometimes it'd last a few cars, and other times it would last for dozens. I can still see the face of one mother who came through the line with yelling kids in the backseat, who completely froze when I told her that her coffee was already paid for. That random act of kindness that cost, cost someone only a few dollars nearly broke her. And to me, that shows how desperate our world needs even the smallest acts of kindness. Last September, we welcomed our son Quinn into the world. When he was a few weeks old, I was having one of those mornings where I honestly didn't know how I was going to make it through the day. I was nearly sick from exhaustion. My husband, Jeff, saw me and uh, chose to stay home from work, even though he had already started back to work after family leave. This made the rest of his week a bit harder, but he was more concerned for me than himself. We recently traveled by plane for the first time as a family of three. Has anybody else ever flown with a baby? Or witnessed a family flying with a baby? (laughs) Let's just say it's a lot. (laughs) In the middle of going through airport security with Quinn, his stroller, our own bags, and Quinn's 700 belongings, a stranger came up to us and simply said, you guys are doing a great job. Did it inconvenience that man to take four seconds to look us in the eye and encourage us? Of course not, but we felt seen. I am lucky enough to have a couple people in my life who see straight through any walls that I attempt to put up. There have been times I fake saying good when they ask me how I'm doing, and then I get the look, and I know they are wanting the real answer, and they are right there to support me. They make me feel seen. I remember a day last spring when I was simply feeling down in the dumps. I was physically worn down from pregnancy. There was a lot of life change on the horizon, and anxiety was running high. My best friend noticed all of this in me and showed up at my door with a smiley balloon, a card, and boxes of cereal, which was my pregnancy craving at the time. In a season where so much was changing and emotions were high, she made me feel seen. All of these acts of kindness were very simple. An uninterrupted nap, a few kind words, a genuine check-in, and a couple small gifts that probably cost someone less than $10. They came from my husband, a stranger, a mentor, and a best friend. The spectrum is wide with kindness. It can come in familiar and unexpected places, from family to strangers. But what does it always come back to? Feeling seen. Back in April, Josh and Megan gave us an amazing message on being seen. I highly recommend going back and giving it a listen if you missed it. They focus on absorbing the truth that we are seen. That we are seen and known by our loving, compassionate, and perfectly kind Heavenly Father. And the reason I encourage you to go back and listen as we talk about kindness is because I believe that in order to genuinely see and show kindness to those around us, we need to first acknowledge and accept that we are seen. I figured who better to look at for an example of the one-size-fits-all policy of kindness than Jesus himself. We see it throughout all of Jesus' life. He was always seeing people beyond any wrongs they had done, and he was constantly breaking the cultural norms for not associating with certain people. The woman at the well and John 4 was the first interaction that came to my mind. When returning to Galilee from Judea, Jesus had to travel through Samaria. We read that Jesus is tired from his journey and came to Jacob's well. There he finds a Samaritan woman at the well. We are never even told her name, but what we do know is significant. Obviously, we know she is a woman, and we know that women were both demeaned and disregarded in the society. Cultural and historical tradition also tells us that it was often a social occasion for women to draw water in groups in the morning before the heat of the day. So because this interaction takes place midday, we know that she is a social outcast. Perhaps this is because she had been married five times and the man she was currently with was not her husband. Finally, we know she is a Samaritan with whom Jews did not associate. So she is a woman, Samaritan, and social outcast. She was at a low standing in gender, race, and marital status. Jesus was not simply being nice by talking with her at the well. He saw her and chose her to be the first person to reveal himself as the Messiah. Watch this.
2: Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again.
3: Wouldn't that be nice?
2: The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both.
3: I don't have a husband.
2: You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband.
3: (laughs) I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me.
2: No.
3: Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned.
2: I'm not here to
4: condemn you.
3: I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship.
2: They say that because the temple is there. Yeah,
3: exactly where we're not allowed.
2: I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father.
3: So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did.
2: Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming, and is now here, that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that, is the kind of worshipper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you?
3: (gasps) Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone.
2: You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him, because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy.
3: Why are you doing this?
2: I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me.
3: You picked the wrong person. I came
2: to Samaria just to meet you. (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day?
3: I am rejected by others. I know.
2: But not by the Messiah.
3: (sighs) And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone (laughs)
2: I was counting on it.
3: (laughs) Spirit and truth.
2: Spirit and truth.
3: It won't be all about mountains or temples.
2: Soon, just the heart.
3: (laughs) You promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the
4: Christ. um
1: (laughs) From this story and so many others that reveal the character of Jesus, we can trust that he sees us with kindness in his eyes. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit can fill us with this same kindness for one another. But I don't believe the conversation about kindness is complete until we talk about kindness toward ourselves. So far, we have been talking about outward kindness, something we will go out and do from here. But kindness is both inward and outward. Kindness toward ourselves is something we can start practicing within ourselves right now. Whether or not we give it much thought, we all have an inner dialogue. Positive or negative, we all have a way of talking to ourselves. The reason I don't believe this conversation is over until we talk about self-kindness is because I am far better at extending kindness to others than to myself. Maybe you're someone who thinks you're all that and can't relate at all. But I can guarantee that whether you see it or not, someone in your life, someone in a seat near you, knows exactly what I'm talking about. So I want to take a few minutes to talk to the person who struggles to view themselves positively, who plays the comparison game who doesn't feel like enough. We are familiar with Jesus's words to love your neighbor as yourself and treat others the way you want to be treated. But how are we actually loving and treating ourselves? In my life, loving others as I love myself is a pretty low bar for loving people because I do not treat myself with the love and kindness like we have been talking about in this series. The natural tone in my head is an inner critic telling me how I could do more, give more, be more and sometimes even a panel of inner critics telling me things like, you could have done better, you made the wrong decision, your feelings are irrational, you're stupid, you're not enough. I could go on, but these are some of the most common negative voices in my head. As you can imagine, these voices can get me down, fill me with anxiety, and cripple me when I have to make decisions. In these moments, what I feel is true is very different from what I know is true. When the inner critics have taken over and I am being unkind to myself, the most important thing to do is remind myself of what is true. I find this truth in many places. Scripture, music, prayer, a trusted friend, nature. I want to go over four truths and actions that I come back to. Number one, it's okay to not be okay. Be kind to your emotions. Ever get mad about something small, and then you get mad, you're mad, so now you're even more mad, and now you're big mad? As much as I hate it sometimes, emotions are a part of the human experience. We even saw this range in Jesus himself. Jesus had a righteous anger. Jesus wept. Jesus rejoiced. Jesus' heart ached to the point of sweating blood. When I consider the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can slip into believing that I can't cultivate this fruit and experience negative emotion at the same time, which leads to a feeling of failure. I get angry when I'm angry because I want to live out peace. I get upset when I'm sad because I want to live out joy. I get disappointed in myself when I don't treat others right because I want to be kind. This is where we have to remember that this is not a to-do list, but a work of the Spirit in us. Every day I am learning that it's not about avoiding these hard emotions. It is a part of our life here and should be because our world is broken and we should feel the weight of that. But emotion should be the very thing that leads us to action. So it's okay to not be okay. Sit in it, be kind to yourself through it, and invite the Holy Spirit to transform it into action within yourself and toward others. Number two, transition is temporary. Embrace being a beginner. When have you found yourself as a beginner? Maybe it was when you started a new job, graduated high school, got married, experienced loss, became a parent, found yourself public speaking for the first time. (laughs) Have you ever carried shame because the list of things you didn't know felt endless? Sometimes we are beginners by choice and sometimes it is forced upon us. With every beginning comes an ending which holds elements of both joy and sadness. Layers of transition, grief, excitement, and letting go. The most important thing to do is to not be afraid and to be kind to yourself with all that comes in the transition. If you are a beginner, embrace the beginning. Invite Jesus to walk with you through what to think, say, and do. He wants to be with you. Number three, interrupt the lies with truth. Surround yourself with people who will speak truth. Every so often, I show my humanity and a little mistake, and the panel of inner critics takes over. I spiral out, and I need someone outside of my emotions to see my situation clearly, and help me see the clear picture too. To tell me I am loved enough and doing a good job. Sometimes to even just distract me and have some fun. I am lucky to have this person in my husband, but I have a handful of others who I can rely on when the lies are taking over. They interrupt these voices with gentle reminders of the truth. If negative self-talk is a struggle for you, find your people who you can trust to bring in on it. The negative voices lose some power as as soon as you are no longer in it alone. Number four, treat yourself the way you treat others. Extend that same grace to yourself. Sometimes when I am beating myself up, the most effective way to stop is to picture being mean to someone else and not just some hypothetical other person. I picture looking in the eye of my best friend, husband, son, mom, you name it, because I would never want to talk to them like I talk down to myself. Why does the grace that I so easily extend to others often feel impossible to extend toward myself? It's not a simple answer and will probably be a forever struggle in my life. Maybe you feel the same. Maybe someone you love feels the same but I do believe practicing these actions will help you in the pursuit of self-kindness. Be kind to your emotions, embrace being a beginner, surround yourself with people who will speak truth, and be generous with grace toward yourself. See, kindness is a reflection of God's relationship with humanity. God has always been kind to us, even when we don't show the same kindness in return. He provides for those who love him and for those who hate him. Even when we don't deserve it or want it, he actually continues to offer us grace and forgiveness. And from an earthly human perspective, it really makes very little sense to us. And that kindness was ultimately demonstrated through Jesus. His kindness, it wasn't selfish. There was no manipulation or self-preservation. Even while Jesus was dying on a cross, bearing the weight of humanity's sin, he was making arrangements for someone to care for his mother when he was gone. And he prayed that God would forgive the people who tortured and killed him. He spoke kind words of forgiveness to the criminal hanging on the cross next to him. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, it says, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, not because we were good and had done good things, but because of his mercy." He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So we should want kindness to grow in us because of the scandalous kindness that has been shown to us. And it's in that rich soil, that acknowledgement of the kindness of God in our lives, It's in that rich soil that the fruit of kindness will actually grow, and our hearts will be turned toward meeting the needs of others. In just a minute, some music is going to play, and some questions are going to be on the screen for reflection. Take a minute to be grateful for the times you have been on the receiving end of true kindness. Look inward at how you treat yourself and draw close to God as we prepare to go out from here to share this authentic, spirit-led kindness in our homes, workplaces, and community. Let's pray. God, thank you for your perfect example of kindness in your son Jesus. In a world that can feel so dark, it is easy to lose hope for true kindness. Thank you that the fruit of the Spirit is not a to-do list, but a natural outcome for every believer who lives life close to you. Remind us of this, Father, anytime we feel like we're not measuring up. Pull us close to you and nurture this fruit in us in our everyday lives. Teach us how to respond in love and not fear. Teach us what it means to speak with conviction without using words as weapons. Teach us to carry both strength and gentleness, gentleness to offer kindness even in our anger, to listen before lashing out. As we offer kindness to others, may we never forget to extend it to ourselves. In every interaction, in every decision, in every temptation toward shame or overwhelm, help us to remember that you have given us a spirit of love, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Show us what it means to offer these gifts to our families, coworkers, and neighbors with confidence, conviction, and a sound mind. May your kindness be our sure companion. Be with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name.
5: Broken heart in my chest Couldn't sleep, couldn't get no rest Weighed down by the heaviness of life And I try to fix it flipping through my phone but all it does is make me feel more alone I couldn't think that feels so wrong be right Seven billion voices separate us, only one can show us who we are, we are made, made in the image of, made in the image of God, beautiful shades of love, we are made. Made in the image of made in the image of God That's where the light comes from We all need the same medicine We all need another second chance There's no first in line of the cross father forgive me show my concrete heart we are made made in the image of made in the image of god beautiful shades of love and we are made made in the image of made in the image of god and that's where the light comes from we fall apart with all lose sight of heaven but still your love is chasing us Oh, give me your heart for every heart that's breaking. And give me eyes to see so much more than flesh and blood. We are made, made in the image of, made in the image of. are made, made in the image of, made in the image of God, beautiful shades of love, we are made, made in the image of, made in the image of God, that's where the light comes from.